Welcome back to the Steel Podcast, Season 2, Episode 2, the show where we take a deep dive into the scores, the stats, the standings, and everything MLB, with your hosts Asher Cohn and Albert Brown. It's a steal, so let's get into it. All right, guys, we are back with our second episode in two weeks. Uh, and we have a really fun one lined up for today. Um, a bit news about the podcast. We're just working really hard on just getting one solid episode up a week. And if you follow us on Instagram, we're putting out a lot of content there that you might not hear on the podcast. Stuff like uh, bold predictions for different divisions or top 10 lists about different fielders. So if you want more content, go to our Instagram page and we're posting there all the time. That being said, let's just get straight into the episode. Um... Today, we're going to be kicking it off with something we haven't done before. We're doing a draft format. So what we're going to be doing today is we're taking all the teams that finished under 500 last season, and what we're going to do is we're going to draft five of them each. So the goal is to draft five teams that get a cumulative best record starting next season. So here are the parameters for this draft. Basically, we're each going to pick. It's going to be wraparound. So if I pick first, Amrit would get two picks, and then I get a pick, two picks. Then basically what's a snake draft, it's two people, so it's a little weird. But what we're going to try and do is we're going to get two teams. You have to have five teams. Two teams from the AL, two teams from the NL, and one of your five teams has to have finished fifth place in their respective division last season. So we're going to start that off. In order to decide who picks first, we are going to play... Rock, paper, scissors. Now we're doing this online. It's going to be first to three. Um, Amrit, any thoughts you have before we get into the draft? Um, I don't think it really matters which pick I get. I think I'm going to win either way. So um, let's just get started with the rock, paper, scissors. All right. Well, I'm telling you right off the bat, um, I'm going rock first. You can you can believe me or not, but I'm already locked in my pick. So there you go. There's the. Oh, answer. you did go rock first pick. Wow, that is incredible. Okay, I'm gonna go rock as well. So zero zero. Okay. There we go. Oh, oh my god. god. Paper paper. This is. <laughs> okay. Dead. Yes, that's a win. That's one zero. Armored up one nothing. One one <sighs> equalizer. Scissors always beats paper. Gotta know it. Okay, current standings, Amrit up 2-1. He needs one more to secure, the f- to secure, and he can choose which pick he wants if he were to win, but that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Uh, you're not making this up. It is this intense right now. Oh, rock, rock. If this is, like, super boring to listen to, I'm sorry, but this is how you <laughs> so intense right now between us. No! That's a win. Okay, I'm taking the first pick. Okay, so here's how this is going to work. Amrit gets the first pick in the draft. You beat me 3-2 to two in rock, paper, scissors. Um, And he'll get the first pick. I'll get the second and third pick. He'll get the third and fourth pick. Um, I'll get fourth and fifth. It'll go like that until we each have five teams. But without further ado, kick us off in our first draft of the new season. Okay, so there's really only one spot to go with this. I don't think it's much of a decision at all, actually. It's the San Diego Padres. I mean, it was actually quite embarrassing for them how it went last year. 
And it's really kind of, they're going to be competing for that division with the Dodgers. Would not be surprised with 95 plus wins next year. I, I fully believe they could blow the rest of the teams we're drafting out of the water here. It's it's just that simple. I mean, that lineup is loaded. The pitching staff, although not amazing last year, is going to improve. And they've got a pitching prospect, McKenzie Gore. He has struggled recently, but he used to be the top pitching prospect in baseball. He'll be in the major leagues and he'll be good. Padres with the number one pick. Yeah, this was this was an obvious one. You know, there were there were the one team on the list that was so clearly not supposed to be on that list. They were supposed to be above 500 last season. They should be above 500 next season. So, that was the that was the one one on everyone's category. Um but I I do get the 2-3 here, which I'm I'm pretty happy about. And I've got a couple different ways we can go about this. So, you've got your one NL team. I'm going to go to the NL as well here. Uh and as much as this pains me to take two overall, I'm looking at the stats, and they give me the most faith. Unfortunately, I'm taking the Mets. And to me, this was just the only pick that fully made sense. It was they they have the best pitching rotation, no doubt, no doubt of the teams under 500, and you know they're being aggressive. At free agency, I'm sure they'll be aggressive in the trade deadline, so I could see this team getting better from an offensive perspective. Hopefully, hopefully they get a good amount of wins. And as my back-to-back pick here, I'm going to the AL, and I'm taking the Angels. Um, You've got Shohei Otani, you've got Mike Trout, you've got Anthony Rendon. That's three good hitters and a good pitcher to build around. This team should be better than they've been. We all expect them to be better than they've been. I think they'll finish above 500 I think they'll get a decent amount of wins next year that's my two three okay so I actually was not totally expecting him to go with the Mets I was fully prepared to take the Mets with my pick here but there's there's one team that I go to here when you're looking at it and it's it's kind of obvious it's the Cleveland Guardians for me um they finished 80 and 82 last year now I don't believe they're going to be that good this year coming year but when you look at a pitching rotation that includes Shane Bieber Zach Plesak and Tristan McKenzie that can be dominant, and of course, you're going to build around Jose Ramirez in the infield. So I will take them. And then there was a picture, actually, we were going through it. I can't remember what we were doing now, but uh, it was Emmanuel Classe. He, I'm anticipating he's going to be the closer this year. 0.28 ERA after the All-Star break, which is incredible. So, yeah, I, I'm very confident with my pick here. And then this is this is where it becomes slightly, slightly more difficult, and... Um, you sort of think about right now, it's two, it's down to two teams for me. And what I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and take my fifth place team right here so that Asher can't have them. I'm going to take the nationals and my favorite player outside of the Boston Red Sox, Juan Soto. And listen, when you have a lineup that is based in such a good player, it becomes really difficult to pitch, uh, to the other players. You have to you have to either accept that Juan Soto is going to get on base, walk him, and try and pitch to the rest of the players, or you have to pitch to Juan Soto, and that becomes in- incredibly difficult to do. So I, I I believe in the Nationals. I know it's going to be much more of a struggle without uh, without Trey Turner and Max Scherzer, but I still believe in the in some parts of the pitching staff. I mean, Steven Strasburg's coming back. Patrick Corbin is still there. So although I'm not thrilled about having to do this, I, I'll take my fifth-ranked team. For, uh, before Asher, so I can I can get this done. Yeah, that's you know obviously the Guardians they were they were a solid pick just because I believe they were 
80 and 82, they've always been a team that's been above the water in terms of you don't consider them being an uncompetitive team. Um, And the Nationals as the fifth place team, I was between two teams for my fifth place team. I'm not mad that I have to give up the Nationals here just because, you know, Scherzer's gone. I think there's a chance they don't get much better next year. Um, Obviously, they do have Soto, but I, I, I'm going to probably go fifth place team as well here for my third team. And I'm going to take the Rangers. You know, they added Marcus Semien. They added Seager. This is a team that they're being aggressive. Again, I like teams that are trying to be now because we're focused on wins in the coming season. So this is a team that's saying we want to attack the trade deadline now. We want to attack the free agent market now. They've got two big bats. They could be a lot better. There is a chance that with their really lackluster pitching, they're not great at all. Um, but they did finish fifth in the division. To me, it was between them and another team after the Nationals were gone. But I have to go Rangers. For my next pick, for my fourth team, and I have currently two AL teams and one NL team, this is where it this is where it gets kind of difficult here. The the crowds begin to thin. Um oof. This is this is a tough one. I'm looking at a few different stats here, and I'm really on the fence. I'm gonna take an NL team here, and I am not a big fan of this selection before I even make it. I'm between two, and I'm gonna have to go. Oh, I'm gonna have to go with the Cubs. And the reason being is because with their farm system, with the moves to Oh, I actually hate that pick. I wish I went to a different team as soon as I said it. I'm okay, I'm going Cubs. I'm locking it in. I'm a big fan of how they're rebuilding. Frankly, what they did last year, which was get rid of everyone, which makes me unconfident about this next season, was showed me that they know what they're doing in terms of they're not afraid to pull the trigger. I don't think they'll be super competitive this year. Um, frankly, that was probably a mistake. But I like this is the brightest future draft. And I think of the teams we're talking about, of teams that need to be rebuilding, this team is probably going to get themselves back in the picture quicker than a lot of other teams because they're willing to sell guys. They're willing to build up the farm system. And I'm sh- and it's a fun place to play Chicago. So I'm sure that when the time comes, they'll be able to get guys over in free agency. But it might be too early for their for their resurgence. Yeah, so that was that was interesting to me, and that leaves me with a bunch of options that I sort of was not anticipating. I was actually talking to Asher before we started, and there's a team on the board that I wasn't sure if it was going to be taken or not, and that would have brought questions up. And that was the Rangers. Whether the Semyon and the Seager moves were enough for next year for we for us to consider them competitive. And so what I'm going to do here is now that the Cubs, who are actually written down as fifth on my board are gone. I'm looking at three teams and I'm not going to tell Asher which ones those are. Cause I believe he has one more pick, but um, I'm going to go with the Royals for my first pick. And that, that clears me to take a uh, team from either division uh, with my next pick. And the reason I do that is because the three teams I'm looking at, I'm really not happy about any of the pitching staffs. So I'm looking mainly at the lineup. And when you look at the first six, you're going to see in 
the Royals lineup. It's Whit Merrifield, Nicky Lopez, Salvador Perez, Andrew Benintendi. Key piece here, Bobby Witt Jr. and then Adalberto Mondesi. And so, although it's not your star-studded lineup you see on the Red Sox or the Yankees or the Dodgers, it's consistent throughout. And we remember in the uh, in spring training last year, and I believe at the start of the season, the Royals were one of the hottest teams in baseball. If they can find a way to continue with that throughout the season, despite a slightly below average and really old, actually, pitching staff, I believe they could finish above 500. I don't know if they're going to do much more than that. Um, then with my second pick, I'm going to go for the lineup again. Well, I, wait, wait, wait. Is that, is that not five teams? Oh, shoot. No, it's not. That's four for me. I've got the Padres, Guardians, Nationals, and Royals. And then I get one more. Wait, Padres? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, so the Padres, Guardians, Nationals, Royals, and then one more team. Um, Again, I think I know where Asher's going to go with his last pick if I do this. But I'm going to go ahead and take the Twins. Because, again, you look at the lineup and you believe it can be successful. Um, Luis Arez, Byron Buxton, you got in there, Josh Donaldson. And then all the way at eight, a player that I really like, partially because he's on my fantasy team, but Alex Kirilov is going to be really good. The Again, the problem is the pitching staff. Nobody's happy with it. But at least they have a better ace in Dylan Bundy than other teams would have. Although he was down the hill last year at the end of the season. But yeah, those are my five teams. I'm actually kind of happy with this. Um, I think I know where Asher's going to go with his next pick, but we're just going to have to see. Yeah, so I'm, I'm between two teams here. I... I wasn't sure if Twins was coming off the board uh, before my pick or not. They were who I was between in my fifth place team when it was Rangers or Twins. You know, the Twins, if you look at numbers like war, uh, from uh, the war perspective in hitting and pitching, they they were pretty decent last year. Um, So that was a team I was considering. Now I'm between the Tigers and the Rockies. Um, But... I don't, I like, you know, obviously bias the Tigers you hate to see, but at the same time, they're making some strides on the pitching side. They're, they're at least active in the free agency market. So that being said, I think I'm going to lock in the Tigers as my, my fifth team here. Um, and that rounds out the draft to recap. I have the Mets, Angels, Rangers, Cubs, and Tigers, and you have the Padres, uh, Guardians, Nationals, Twins, and Royals. So, overall, I think this is pretty balanced. You have a big advantage with the Padres 1-1, but I like my team. I like the Mets, Angels as my 1-2, because I I think that's a clear 2-3, and then there's a drop-off for the rest of the field. Yeah, I mean, I see that. The Angels and the Mets are actually 3-4 on my list. That's why I was so happy to get the Guardians. The only reason I say that is because the Guardians uh, have proven over the past few years that they're able to compete in the division. And then when you look at the team, admittedly, they did have Francisco Lindor when they were the most competitive. But you're like, this team, it doesn't look as competitive as as they're actually playing as. I mean, I remember they were in the World Series or the ALCS like three or four years ago. And so... I truly believe that they will finish with the second best record out of all the teams we've picked. Um, other than that, I'm happy with my Nationals pick. This is my five team. I, I, I believe that I could have taken them with that third or fourth pick anyway. So that, that excites me also. Yeah, and how about all four teams in the AL Central that finished below 500 going? The Guardians, the Tigers, the Royals, and the Twins. Now, of those, 
you got the Royals and Twins, the four and five there. The Tigers, I feel like you've been hot on them for a while. Why why'd you stick away from them? Um, I'm I'm high on the Tigers in the next four or five years. The reason I, I decided it wasn't worth it this year is because you just have you have no you have so many question marks on the pitching staff. I mean, it's a little more solidified with Eduardo Rodriguez and Casey Mize, but until you see the um the two players in their uh, farm system that are currently slipping my mind. I know one of them played for Ole Miss and one of them played for Texas. Ty Madden is one of them. Until you guys see them in the major leagues, this pitching staff isn't going to be rounded out, in my opinion. And then you look at the lineup. Admittedly, it's pretty good, but it drops off pretty quickly after the first two or, depending on how you feel about bias, three hitters into uh, an average lineup. So, yes, I like to see them – in the postseason in the next three years, probably at the end of that. But right now it's just, they're the team that I think is going to finish last in the division. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I get that. I don't think overall though, there were really any surprises this draft. Um, Padres going one was obvious after that, you know, there's, there is drop off even past this where, you know, you get to even worse teams under 500. Again, this is the brightest future draft, the best potential team draft. So, the goal was to draft five teams that we think will have the of teams that finished under 500 last season will have the highest or most wins next season. So we can keep track of this at the end of the 2022 season. We will be able to see, okay, which five teams of that we each chose accumulated the most wins. We'll keep you updated on that, and we plan on doing more drafts in the future. They're a lot of fun. Uh, if you have any ideas or suggestions, let us know. But moving on from that, we've talked about, you know, the best potential team draft is all about rebuilding and future. And a lot of teams that we discussed in this were, you know, we I drafted the Mets, you drafted the Nationals, two teams that we've talked about a lot in the offseason just because they've had a lot of movement. And so what we want to do for this next segment is talk about the NL East as a whole and specifically hand out grades to these teams because we were looking at the different divisions and the NL East is one of the most interesting teams when it comes to which teams actually make up the division. So we've taken the past five seasons of each team in the NL East and we've handed out a grade based on, you know, a few different categories, but based on the team as a whole during the past five seasons. We're going to be harsh. It's in relation to the rest of the league, but we want to give our opinions on the NL East and maybe give us some advice going forward for some of the teams that have struggled. Starting at the very, the bottom of the bottom, the Marlins, you know. And these five seasons include the 2017, 18, 19, 20, 21 seasons. In these five seasons, the Marlins have gone 295 and 412. So, the very definition of a losing record, right? They haven't been good, but they have made a playoff appearance during the COVID season, expanded playoffs. What do you think about the Marlins over the past five seasons? Give me your letter grade. Um. Okay, my letter grade is a D plus, and I only say that because of the atrocious record. I mean, I would have just given them a straight up D before I noticed the NLDS playoff appearance in twenty twenty. Now, admittedly, that was a shortened season, and it was a appearance that involved them. I believe beating a team. It may have been the Cubs that I wasn't completely high on at that moment but then um you look at the roster today and you see it's just not exactly 
good. I mean, you're looking at a team where your best hitters are Jesus Aguilar and Jazz Chisholm. The rotation is a lot better. You're looking at young guys, Sandy Alcantara, Trevor Rogers, Pablo Lopez. But I I don't see them playing well in the future, really, with that with the talent they have in their lineup. And so with a team that finished with 295 wins over five seasons, admittedly one shortened season, it's got to be a bad grade and it's a D plus. Yeah, I'm right here with you. I also gave this team a D plus. I mean, 2017, they finished 77 and 85. 2021, they finished 67 and 95. So they got worse. That's not that's not a good measurement. Yeah, they had the white one bright spot in 2020. The thing about this team is they're an active team. You see them consistently appear at the trade deadline, and you see them in free agency. They have a young squad. They have probably a pretty decent farm system. Yet, excluding 2020, they haven't done anything notable for the past five seasons. So, is there a brightness in their future? You're not. You you don't think they're going to be playing well in the future. Obviously, when you compare them to the rest of the league, they're bottom of the barrel. They weren't even picked in the best potential team draft. So, this team is a D plus team. There's there's not a lot debating that, but it is still a very young team yet very inexperienced. Is there any way they start to turn it around, or do they just not have the right formula down right now? Yeah, and I I don't think the formula is there right now. I mean, you look at the players they've got, their pitching staff, and I'll admit it, it's got one of the top 10 most potential in, in their pitching staff for this coming season and coming five years. I mean, outside of that, though, I really struggle when their top prospect, now this is according to MLB in August, is Khalil Watson, the guy they just drafted. Outside of that, it's three pitching prospects. And then you go to the fifth number, fifth prospect, J.J. Lede. He's in double A and may not even be called up this year. So I really struggle to believe in this team, especially when they're having to rely on older players and then younger talents that admittedly, like Jazz Chisholm, could be good in the future, but haven't proven it yet. And I, I just don't believe in them right now. Yeah, I I do agree. Moving on to the Mets. We look at their past five season record total, 336 and 372. Another losing record in the NL East. This team is just maybe one of the most frustrating, maybe one of the most confusing teams to watch. And we have no idea what's on the future because they continue to get big guys in free agency. I mean, they've done that for two seasons now. Max Scherzer, welcome to the team. The pitching staff is getting better. The offense doesn't seem to be. That is the problem. They haven't made the playoffs in the past five seasons. If you're a Mets fan, 2017, you're expecting a playoff appearance before the end of the 2021 season. That's why I think you have to give them a pretty tough grade here. I've given them a flat C. You know, they're trying. They're acquiring players, which means at least going into the season, the fan base can be excited because they do have talent on this roster. They have the best pitcher in baseball. They have some decent offense, or at least some big names like Lindor. Yet, we get there, and they're just not performing. 77 and 85 in 2021 might have been one of the biggest disappointing seasons behind the San Diego Padres. Flatsy, not doing it for me right now. Yeah, they're not doing it for me either, and I give them a C-. And the reason I do that is you look at the record, 336-372, no playoffs. You give them a round of flat C minus for a record around 40 games below 500 or 20 games below 500 at this point. 
So it's it's just so frustrating to me that this team has had Jacob deGrom for all of those years and yet are finishing as a C-minus ranking, never having made the playoffs. And although it is looking up with a new owner for the team, I'm not amazed with their prospects. I mean, you look at it, their top prospect is in high A ball this year. He's a catcher. You rarely see that unless they're top hitting prospects in baseball like Adley Rutschman. You look at the major league team. It's pretty good. You look at the lineup. It's solid. Um, pitching staff, one of the best in baseball. I mean, Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, Taiwan Walker, Carlos Correa, hard to, or Carlos Carrasco. Hard to find anything better than that. So, I mean, the future is looking up. I think they probably will finish above 500 next year. But we're looking at the past, and the past hasn't been good. It's been bland in reality. So C-minus is what they have to get. Yeah. And that takes us to the team that, you know, was step and step with them. 337-371 over the past five seasons. The Philadelphia Phillies, also a team that was making waves, you know, in free agency mark, uh, free agent market. You know, they've got, obviously they've got Harper, but this is a team that, you know, I say two seasons ago, or going into 2019, we were pretty hot on these guys. You know, they, I think 2019, 81 and 81, Things were looking up. Frankly, they were making moves. Another team similar to the Mets in which you say a playoff uh, a playoff appearance is they're due for a playoff appearance. That That's all there is to it. They're due for one. They're going to get it, and maybe they can start to turn around the ship. 2021, they finished with a winning record, but they didn't wow you as an organization. And you're looking at the team now, and I don't think anybody's making serious predictions of them being a serious playoff contender when they're in the same division as the Braves and the NL East happens to be one of the weaker divisions overall. So C-plus for me, they've got a better team. They're finishing with winning records. They've got potential. Past five seasons, again, disappointing when you consider who's on this roster. Yeah, and again, I just gave them a straight-up C-minus because they only had one more win over the past five seasons at the Mets. They didn't make the postseason. Now, I do have more confidence in this team in the future because they have proven that they can almost win at this point. They're finishing 500. And they also have a lineup that includes the uh, reigning NL MVP. Speaking of which, it's a disgrace that just like without DeGrom and, or with DeGrom or with Trout, these teams aren't making the postseason. It, it should be a must that if you have the MVP, you can compete for a postseason spot. And they really weren't last year. Um, I do think they finished second in this division, making a lot of Mets fans really unhappy. But again, you look at the pitching staff, Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, Ranger Suarez played pretty well last year, actually. And Kyle Gibson, acquire, who was acquired on the trade deadline last year. Um, I believe this team can be good in the future. I'm just a little embarrassed for them that they never put that 90-win season together over the past few, uh, past five years. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, it's it's frustrating because there's teams, I think, like you said, Phillies, Mets, Angels fall into this category of what what's going wrong. I mean, the Angels is, is a team where you look at the fa- past five seasons for the Angels and you'd just be so disappointed when you have the names you have on that roster. You're saying, what are you doing? And that's a fan base that's ready to be excited about a team. The Angels, I think, historically are have been a pretty exciting team and pretty frustrating with their their recent occurrences. But getting into the rest of the NL East, here's where I think it really gets interesting. The Washington Nationals. You know, 363-345. So our first winning record over the past five seasons. 
2017, they were a 97 and 65 team, great record. 2021, they were a 65 and 97 team. So they have completely flipped their record in five seasons. And you got to remember that somewhere in the middle there, they threw in a World Series championship. So this team is really all over the place. They've had good talent. They've traded talent away. They've lost it in the free agency market. They lost Bryce Harper. And then, of course, they end up winning the World Series. Very confusing. How do you grade this team? Um, I'll give them a B plus. And the reason I do that is because you think about it, they're 363 and 345, a record a little bit better than 500 over five years. Traditionally, 500, you give them a C, but then you look at what they've achieved over that time and you have a World Series championship and you have, in my opinion, the best young player in baseball, Juan Soto. And with those two factors, what they have in the future and what they what they built during that time, Juan Soto, and what they won during that time, a World Series, it's, it's a B plus. And you, you bring that grade all the way up from a C because of what they've done in the past. And I, I, I we were talking about them in the draft. I struggle to find a lot of positives in their lineup. But when you have, again, in my opinion, the best hitter in baseball, Juan Soto on your team, you can find ways to win and you can find ways to build around him in a much more easy fashion. Well, let me ask you this, because I, I gave them an A- minus mainly because of the World Series ring. And, you know, I wasn't hot on the team the season they won it, and after they won the World Series, I didn't really buy it. I felt like that that wasn't, everything kind of came together for them, and, you know, congrats on paper. They, they were a good enough team to win the World Series, but they didn't feel like a, a typical World Series championship team. They won't go down in history as one of the best teams of all time, the 2019 Nationals. They weren't, they weren't anything crazy, but I gave them an A- because if we look at grading Past five seasons, they're one of five teams to win the World Series in the past five years, which, you know, does say something. It does say that they got a big accomplishment done. But let me ask you this. Would you rather this team have won the 2019 World Series? Or let me, what would have gotten a higher grade? This team winning the 2019 World Series with the volatile uh, records they've had since then, or this team finishing with 95 plus wins, each season since 2017, but they didn't get that ring. What would have solicited a better grade? Um, I probably would have given the uh, 95 plus wins an A or A minus. And it, a lot of it depends on, are they in the World Series? Where did they make their postseason appearances? How well did they play in those? Um, but yeah, if you, you're looking at the kind of consistency where if they've been 95 plus wins over the last five seasons, you're fully expecting it again in 2022. And you're also expecting them to be a World Series contender again or make it to the World Series. So again, I have to bump everything up with a World Series win because it's it's five years. It's hard to win a World Series over a span of five years when there are 30 teams in the major leagues. So that's pretty impressive. But then again, winning 95 uh, games every season for the past five years, I don't know if there's a team in baseball that do that's done that. Maybe the Dodgers, but I don't think so. So... Yeah, I, I'd have to give the 95 wins a better grade. Yeah, that, I, I would agree with that just because you see consistency. You see a team that's built for longevity. But you, when you look at the Nationals, don't you just say where has the talent gone? I mean, Scherzer, obviously, you know, Strasburg, well, less in his prime. But then you say uh, uh, Trey Turner, Anthony Rendon. This, this team was, and Bryce Harper even before that, like, in my mind, 
the fact that they finished 65 and 97 in 2021 can be almost chalked up to mismanagement. Huh. That's actually a really interesting take. I, I didn't anticipate that. And, well, I find it really difficult to trade Trey Turner and Max Scherzer, especially when Scherzer has gone ahead and signed somewhere else and Trey Turner is still a Dodger. I think it may have been a necessary evil at this point. And it's not as disappointing to trade those two players when you did win a World Series with them. And so... And you also have Juan Soto still on your roster. So I, I wouldn't call it mismanagement necessarily. I'd call it disappointing that they weren't better when those two guys were on their roster. And you have to wonder why they weren't better when those two guys were on the roster before the trade deadline. But should they have done more to be looking at a 2022 roster that still had all these players? That still had Rendon, that still had Turner, that still had Scherzer. You know, obviously... They didn't sign Scherzer, but that's because the team's already falling apart. So, you know, they have Soto locked up right now. Should they have done more to make sure these guys stayed on the roster or at least gotten more value for them before they lost Scherzer at free agency? Like, why wasn't he gone at the trade deadline sooner before leaving for free agency when you're 65 and 97? Do you think they could have done a better job to either set themselves up or at least have these guys on the roster now and have a bright future ahead? Well, my my real question is, why is Trey Turner not on this roster still? I mean, he did have another year, and he had it with Juan Soto. And at that point, you're trading Max Scherzer. You're probably not getting Kybert Ruiz, Ruiz back, who was the top or who was the second highest ranked catcher after Adley Rutschman, and is admittedly a really good hitting talent. Um, you aren't getting him for Max Scherzer, but the trade just wasn't good enough for me to include Trey Turner in it, especially after he was leading the major leagues in hits at that point. And you're giving him to a team that supposedly was going to go win the world series. In my opinion, had the most talent on their roster. So I still think Trey Turner should be on that on the team. I though I know nationals fans, probably some of them agree with it, the trade. Some of them don't. And some of them think, well, now we have Trey Turner and Juan Soto in a year where we're not going to win. That's a waste of Trey Turner. I'll just tell you this. When the Red Sox traded Mookie Betts and David Price to the Dodgers, um, it was one of the biggest blockbuster trades I've, I, I can remember like throughout my life. Uh, life, We got Alex Verdugo back, who's played well, who could hit 290 this year, who was Major League ready. Kyber Ruiz last year didn't look Major League ready. I don't think he was worth two years of Trey Turner. So it just makes you wonder what exactly was uh, possessing the Nationals. I know I'm rambling on about this, but I just wish the Nationals had found a better way to win with so much, so many talented players in their lineup. Yeah, I think you know they got they got the ultimate gold done in 2019. They they achieved that, and and for that you give them credit. But in my my opinion, this team. Is is you know and and sure they had some playoff appearances before 2017 and maybe they they were just phasing out of that era of players but in my opinion this team should have been better for longer or at least been more consistent. Moving on to the World Series defending champions though, it is the Atlanta Braves starting in 2017, 72 and 90. They have flipped that script. They have been the he- top of the division for. You know, what's felt like a while, 
obviously 2020, 2021, and uh, 2019. I believe they won the division all three times. 382 and 325 since 2017. Solid winning record. World Series champions in 2021. 2020 NLCS appearance, 2019 NLDS appearance, uh, and 2018 NLDS appearance as well. So they've been to the playoffs plenty. They haven't broken the 100-win mark, so they haven't had uh, what some would categorize as an outstanding season, but they've had a 97-win season. Sure, they only won 88 and 73 in 2021, but they were World Series winners in my mind. When you're talking about the rest of the league, there's not much more a team can accomplish than going to the playoffs uh, four times and winning the World Series once. This is an A team. This is this is top tier. Maybe one of the most, if you actually consider it, along with the Dodgers and maybe Astros, one of the most successful teams over the past five seasons. Yeah, I agree. And I actually flip-flopped on my grade a lot for this team. And there are only a couple teams in the league. Maybe one team in the league I'm willing to give an A-plus for over this span is, is the Dodgers. So I, I'm going to give the Braves an A instead of an A-minus. And it's because of the progression that this team shows. I mean, you go from not making the playoffs, NLDS, NLDS, NLCS, world champions. That is exactly what Braves fans are looking for in a team. And they also won uh, 90 games, 97 games, and 88 games. So that's consistency over the past few years. And they also have talent on their roster. I mean, one of the best young players that teams seem to forget is Ronald Acuna Jr. because he was hurt last year. So I believe in this team's future. I believe that they're going to sign Freddie Freeman. And I believe that we're going to see them in the NLCS probably next year playing against the Dodgers. So this is an A team. It's hard to be an A-plus in this league over a five-year span. This is an A team. Yeah, and I mean, they really, like you said, the progression from not making the playoffs to building their way up to world champions, and sure, 2021 was not shaping up to be that year. So had it gone differently, had they not played well down the stretch, and had they not made their postseason run, I think we would be talking about this team in a different light because it would have felt like what went wrong, you know? Obviously, injuries to Acuna, they, they were dealing with a lot of injuries last year, and they did a lot of patchwork, and they made it work out but it would have felt quite disappointing for them to get that build up and then not secure the World Series. I think it made sense that, you know, over this past five years, they have been one of the most successful, and for them to actually clinch this World Series, it shows the difference between a team that's won a World Series in this fashion as opposed to the Nationals, right? The Braves have been able to sustain uh, sustain success, and... They've been able to replicate it and build up to it as opposed to the Nationals who have been volatile and then they won a World Series on a year where they didn't even win the division and you're saying, okay, not even really sure how that happened and they're not uh, set up for success in the future. The Braves are set up for success in the coming few seasons, but like you said, one of those keys is signing Freddie Freeman. Obviously, the team is in lockout, but how is this even a question right now? Tell me, give me one good reason why the Braves should not just throw the ship at him and give him whatever he wants. He is crucial to this roster. Well, the thing is, I can't give you that reason. And as a Red Sox fan, I'm kind of okay with it. But there is no reason that Freddie Freeman shouldn't have signed with the Braves on the first day of free agency. I mean, you look at him, his son Charlie is playing T-ball in Atlanta. 
he's traveling to those games to watch his son play. His family wants to be in Atlanta. And it seems like after a World Series victory, Atlanta's like, well, are we are we going to treat our best player, our former MVP? Are we going to treat him right? Or are we going to let him sit on the free agent market, go talk to teams with a ton of money like the Red Sox and the Yankees, and maybe sign with one of them? And they're choosing an option that just seems so ridiculous to me. There's no reason Freddie Freeman shouldn't have already signed a massive contract to be back with the Braves and go win another World Series. Yeah, and, you know, we always talk about big contracts and how usually we're against them and how it's important to be smart with your money in a sabermetric era where you can find production somewhere else. Sometimes that just goes out the window. If anything, you pay him for what he has been to your team rather than what he might be for the future. That's how important he is to this roster. You pay him for the World Series that you just won, for the MVP, and for the the face of the team that he's been along with Acuna. And you say, listen, we need him back in Atlanta. If he goes anywhere else, it's it's such a bad look for Atlanta management. It doesn't matter how he plays next season. You sit him down and you say, what do you want? And you give it to him. And he deserves it as a player, obviously, no doubt. But it's, you know, it's one of the things we were talking about in last episode where we say, you know, when t- players are team controlled, by the time they hit free agency, they may not be in their peak. Well, he's just hit free agency. I don't know. I don't really care if you don't think he's going to be as good as he has been. You pay him for what he's done, and he's probably going to produce. A lot of teams want him for that reason. Yeah, and I, I may have said this on air or not. I don't remember, but I gave Asher what I would do with the Braves management. I'd go find out what Freeman's asking for. I'd be like, okay, we'll give you $5 million less. If he says no, we'll give you $5 million more. Come play for the Braves. That's basically how these negotiations would almost work in my mind. I don't really care how much money he's asking for. He's the face of your franchise. He looks like he's not going to age. If he plays like he has over the past few years, it'll be outstanding. But if he plays like an all-star, which I believe he will for the next three or four years, a six-year contract is completely worth it, especially when you're getting a Cunha back to a team that just won the World Series And you aren't losing that many pieces, if at all. Your rotation is still the same. You're getting Mike Soroka back. It's not like you need that money to go out and sign more players. Sign Freddie Freeman. I know you have the money in you. Go do it. There is no other option for you this offseason. He is the only person you need to sign. Use the money on him. Yeah, absolutely. There's, There's no question. There's just players on certain teams. We've talked about this before. There's players on certain teams. You pay. You give them the contract. And they're they're just that important in the lineup, uh, for the city, for the for the fan base. It's you know too many Freddie Freeman Braves jerseys would go to waste. So hopefully we see him back in a Braves uniform as much as us individually would love to see him in a Yankees or Red Sox uniform for their management for their front office's sake. Hopefully he's back there next season. But yeah, that that rounds out our grades for the NL East, ranging from the D plus Marlins to the A. Braves. It is a wide-ranging uh, wide-ranging division and it's probably the most up-in-the-air division next season. As much as we think the Braves are going to win it, you have the Phillies, you have the Mets, you have just teams where you don't know what's going to happen. And so they've gotten a lot of airtime on this podcast specifically because they are one of the most active divisions in the free agency market and at the trade deadline. They're exciting to watch as a division. Uh, we've given them a lot of heat, but they do have two World Series champions over the past five seasons, and that rounds out the NL East. 
our final segment uh, for today, something that should be a lot of fun as we talk about the upcoming seasons. And we've, you know, the whole theme of this podcast has been what have teams done in the past and what will they do in the future in terms of, you know, the free agency market is on pause. So we have to look at teams as a whole. Instead of just a signing frenzy, we get to we get to talk more about our thoughts on teams and where they look to improve. And as I am the Yankees fan and Ahmed is the Red Sox fan, the AL East is one of our most discussed divisions because we both have huge interest in them. Arguably, and not even arguably, they were the best division in 2021. Four winning records, four 90-win-plus teams, the most competitive division, probably the most exciting division to watch, in our opinion, but probably the best division for baseball. That being said, they are not perfect. No team is perfect. So we're going through the five teams. We're going to talk about which what we think the weaknesses are for their teams and how they can maybe address it moving into 2022 because these teams are only going to get stronger. They're only going to get better, and it's only going to be more competitive in 2022. Let's kick it off with your team. Actually, let's kick it off with the worst team. The Baltimore Orioles, the one team that just didn't even stand a chance in the AL East. A lot of weaknesses. If you had to pick one, if you had to improve one aspect of this team, where would you go? Um, Yeah, this was difficult for me. I actually stared at this one for the longest. And right now, you I, I, I want you to start calling up the young players in your uh, in your farm system. And... That's Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall, and then some more players farther down that list of, of top 30 players in the uh, in the uh, farm system. Kyle Bradish, Yusnel Diaz, an outfielder. And the reason you do that is because, look, the Orioles have a model to me, and that model has been, well, let's bring up that one star dude, that Manny Machado, or this year, let's bring up that Adley Rutschman. And, oh, my gosh, he's so good. Let's waste his next six years and then trade him at the deadline. That's ridiculous. Let's find four of those guys right now, if we can, bring in veteran talent in the next two years and compete for this division. Now, what people fail to remember about the Orioles is that I think it was five years ago or four years ago, they may have won the division. This team has won in the past. Let's see it happen again because they always have that one good player in their farm system Let's see Adley Rushman and Cedric Mullins play together, but let's also see Grayson Rodriguez become an ace in Major League Baseball over the next two years. That's what the Orioles need to win. It's not some outside hire because that's not going to work when you're no good at the sport right now. Let's find it within our minor league uh, facilities and win with the players we already have in the organization. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing we we like to talk a lot about is what we believe is the, you know, obviously it's, it's just our opinion. We don't work in the front office, but what we've seen replicated by other teams. And I think the Padres, you know, barring last season is a good example of this. It's about timing. It's about the timing of three things. First, you build your farm system. Okay. You have to have a good combination where you have young guys who are ready to make their debut and young guys who are ready to be traded away. And then, you know, obviously there's a bit of luck involved in this. But once you are ready to promote your top guys in the farm system, you have to simultaneously, or at least in the season following, be aggressive in the free agency market and be aggressive at the trade deadline. 
you trade the guys you didn't promote or the guys who may not be MLB-ready for MLB-ready talent. You sign guys who are MLB-ready, and you promote youngsters. And that combination of veteran and young talent won't always work out. But there is that's your best shot at being an MLB-ready t- team from going and if you're starting at a team where you just have a good farm system. Right now, the Orioles just have a good farm system, and they just have young talent. The biggest weakness on this team is every aspect of this team. They were horrible last year. Their offense was bad. Their pitching was horrible. They were like last in the league for both, or close to it when it comes to war. But you have prospects. So if you're the Orioles, you got to give all these young guys a shot. And then you cannot waste time anymore. You cannot sit back and hope you just build off of these guys. You have to, as soon as you say, okay, we've got two or three guys, young talent that we can build a lineup around, go sign guys over the offseason, go trade the others for MLB-ready talent. That's what they have to do right now or 2023 once these guys, the younger guys, have gotten a taste of the major leagues. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And we've talked about that model. It's It's extraordinarily difficult to pull off and it's not the model for every winning team in major league baseball but you look at it look at the teams that do win the red sox the dodgers the yankees the astros they all have some formation of players they brought up that were really good and they brought up those players at similar times and players they traded for veterans that come in and contribute immediately to a successful team and that's what the orioles have to start they have to build a similar model It's not perfect for everyone. It's obviously not what the Rays are doing. But it works for most major league teams. And the Orioles can pull it off. So I want to see them do it, especially with a pretty decent minor league prospect list. Yeah, and, you know, hopefully they can. um, And the ALEs would just become that much more competitive. But, you know, I don't see them being a competitive team this coming season. We'll see what happens. They they are on the precipice of being competitive if they can just be very decisive in the coming years. If and it might not pan out. That's that's always the thing. You know, Adley Rushman not, might not pan out. These young guys might not pan out. They might trade for guys that get injured. You never know. You never know with sports. But they've they're in a position now where they're at least at a crossroads where things could turn around. That is exciting. The Let's talk about the fourth place team. Let's just ramp it up. Blue Jays. Really good offensive team. Didn't make the playoffs. Really want to make the playoffs. But there is no easy path when you have three great teams ahead of you. And there's only three teams from the AL East that can at most make the playoffs unless it's some expanded format. So Blue Jays do not have an easy road above them. What's their biggest weakness? How can they fix it? Yeah, so I was flip-flopping between two things here, and it's third base in the bullpen. And I decided to leave the bullpen alone because I'm going to talk about a target pitcher for pretty much most every team in Major League Baseball uh, when we move up to another team. But I'll, I'll go with third base, and I'll go with – the reason behind it is the 1.8 war from third base in last year, and that's just not going to work, especially with Guerrero over at first. And last year it was semi in at second. This year it'll be Biggio. But if we see a Guerrero, Biggio, Bichette, Bryant infield, it'll be the best in baseball. The Astros, even if they sign Correa again, won't stand a chance. The Red Sox, not going to happen. I hate saying that. But 
this team is so dangerous already. Chris Bryant being added to the fold would make it a division-winning team, to be completely fair. And so if they add Bryant, I'm less concerned about the bullpen because they're going to have leads so big it might not matter. Sign Chris Bryant, win a lot more games. Yeah, I, I, I like that take that when I was also looking over this team, third base was probably their biggest offensive weakness um, that I identified as well because it, around the rest of the infield and outfield, this team is very good. Obviously, they're losing Semyon, but like you said, Vigio, this team will be this team will be good. So, I wanted to focus more on pitching. I think bullpen. They were twenty fifth in WAR last year. They just don't have a lot of depth. You know, Romano. They have some some decent pitchers, um, who posted some solid ERAs. But you know, when you go through the dog days of baseball and you have to reach into the fifth and sixth and seventh guy in that pen, that's when it gets tricky, and that's when this team is just not holding up consistency-wise. Um, if they can lock down some pitchers, if they can actually improve this bullpen, then you're looking at a really scary team because depth-wise on the starting rotation side, they were pretty good last year. Yes, they lose Robbie Ray, they get uh, Kevin Gosman, so they're making some trades there, and we won't know exactly how good that starting rotation will be. The biggest issue in my mind was the bullpen of this team. Offensively, I think, sure, they could use Chris Bryant. Any team could, but I don't think that's going to make the difference for them moving forward. Yeah, and I have to agree. I mean, the depth was all important. And now I'll ask you this question. From the free agents out there, who do you think fits? Is it a closer that fits, or is it middle relievers? Or is there names that you want to you wanna put out there? Because there, there's some good free agents on the market that you could talk about. Yeah, I think, you know, Romano can can play in that closing job, but I, if I'm the Blue Jays, you know, and I, I see a closer like, who's on the market right now? Uh, Jansen, right? Yeah. If I can lock down a closer like that who I know is going to be solid, first of all, that that ninth inning becomes locked. And that that would be obviously a good fit for the team just because that gives that gives the bullpen a totally different look if Romano becomes a setup guy. However, like I said, I think a real problem might be more so in the depth of the bullpen here. And so if you can get a couple guys on the market who are pitching to sub-4 ERAs sub and maybe can have a low-3 ERA season who can give you solid innings when you need it, I think that is all they really need to round out their bullpen to at least make it competitive with other teams in the AL East. Yeah, I agree. And two names I would bring up are Corey Nebel and Colin McHugh. McHugh was really successful with the Rays last year. He caused me pain when the Red Sox played the Rays in the postseason. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, you obviously look for the lockdown closer. It's not easy to get him when probably 20 out of the 30 major league teams are zoned in on grabbing him if they can. So yeah, I agree. You have to you have to look for middle relief, but if you get the closer, Romano goes ahead and fi- goes ahead and fills that role. So you've got a setup and a closer with Jansen, and that's what you have to seek if you're a Blue Jays fan, also. Yeah, and before we talk about our favorite teams, let's talk about the reigning division champions, the Tampa Bay Rays, who you know with the small budget are the model of just a very successful team all around. Hard to identify a weakness because they utilize 
their players so well. So even if uh, one player is a weakness, that position might not be because they shift guys around, they get favorable matchups. You talk about this all the time. They, they're a team that's focused on getting good at-bats when their players are ready to have those at-bats. But they are in a competitive team. They always want to improve. You're the GM. Where are you going? Yeah, and so I, I talk about this all the time. It's something I'm really passionate about. It's the money ball philosophy. It's also the Ted Williams philosophy when he was managing the Senators, I believe. And so what he would do is you you play players when they're hot. You play players at favorable ma- matchups, and you make a 250 guy, a 270 guy. I'm sure if you guys listen to the podcast, you've heard me explain this a thousand times. But you look for depth for the Rays because – I mean, you already have guys that you imagine. G-Man Troy at first. They actually traded Joey Wendell, so they're they're looking for somebody over at third, probably a little bit harder. And so I've got two platoon names out there that I'll throw out. Danny Santana and Travis Shaw. Now, these guys are some guys who signed for cheap. Danny Santana hit 28 home runs in a prime season, I believe it was 2018. So the Rays are looking to grab that talent and plug it into the best-case scenarios for them so that he could hit maybe 15 home runs this year, but in many less at-bats. And then Shaw has extra power. He was clutched last year in the postseason for the Red Sox, something the Rays certainly need. And you sort of fill out that infield that already has a strong middle infield in Juan Franco and Brandon Lowe. And this team, although not exactly scary on paper, is building a first baseman platoon that can compete with some of the better players or better players around the league on certain teams. Yeah, and what... I, I agree with that because I was looking at this team from a war perspective. Um, at, you know, we've it's it's all about getting that number of the highest. We've we've talked about this before. Wins above replacement correlates most with winning games. It's that simple than any other stat. So you're trying to get that number as big as you can get. And first base was the biggest weakness. They were 15th in war last year. Other than that, they were very solid. You've identified that as their biggest weakness. So just to talk about something else. I would say that the starting rotation could use some more depth. Now, it's balanced out because their relievers are ridiculously well utilized. You look at this team from a bullpen perspective, their bullpen has a war that is so much higher than any bullpen in the league just because they they really match up well and they really know how to use it. So a ton of depth from the starting pitching is not required, but you get a couple, you get even one more guy that can give you five, six innings consistently, this team is really scary from a pitching perspective, and they're showing that they have the offense, no matter, it seems, who's on that team to back it up. Yeah, I I agree. And the Rays are a team that pretty much no matter what they do, no matter what they have in their pitching rotation, they'll find a gritty way to win win in the regular season. That's the key thing. They were in the World Series, but I don't know if this team is successful in the postseason with the way they're built. It's the old money ball philosophy of the Oakland A's can win 100 games, but they'll lose in the postseason because they don't know how to steal and bunt. And so the reason I think the Rays are going to be the most successful this year is they finally had that superstar guy, the guy in Wander Franco that's going to achieve like hero status in Tampa Bay greater than Evan Longoria, greater than anybody they've really ever had there. And so you bring in depth players at this point, and it's different. It has a different feeling than the last two years where you're like, when's that big-name guy going to show up? The Rays are going to win a bunch of games, and 
it's going to be a lot of it is going to be on the back of their depth and a lot of their postseason success. It's going to be on the back of their superstars, Juan Franco and maybe Randy or Rosarina. We're going to have to see. Yeah, I, I, I definitely back that. And uh, that big bat will certainly help. Let's talk Yankees because this is a team that is constantly adding pieces, trying to get to World Series form, something that has painfully, painfully, painfully not happened over the past five seasons, over the past ten seasons. So they've got a lot of power. They've got Pop. They've got Joey Gallo coming back. They've got Judge. They've got Stanton. Pitching-wise, they weren't horrible last year. I'm looking at this team. The biggest issue I see was the offensive consistency. Team WRC Plus of 93, which which is ridiculous considering this team on paper. They should be an offensive powerhouse. I think that's to say that, you know, with Gallo and maybe if they can re-sign Rizzo or, or get another bat, that should go up considerably, but they need more average. When I look at this team, the biggest weakness I identify is they're not getting consistency. They're hitting home runs and they're striking out. They need guys who can start and prolong innings. LeMahieu wasn't that guy last year because he struggled, but I assume that he can be a 280-290 hitter again in 2022. You need one or two more bats that can do that. So if I'm the Yankees on the free agency market, I'm looking for guys who can post a 280 average. Obviously not easy to find, but guys that can get on base and just help the offense be sewn together. Guys who can fit in between Judge and Stanton and Gallo, so they're not all just striking out or hitting home runs back to back to back. Yeah, and I agree. Offensive consistency is a a big struggle, and a lot of that has to do with Judge and Stanton playing on and off. Labor Torres just not being that guy anymore, and LeMahieu having a down season last year. And so I have to go with the middle infield as the biggest, biggest weakness. I mean, Gleyber Torres, I don't, I don't know what happened to him. I think he hit 28 home runs two years ago, three years ago. I mean, 19 of them were off the Orioles, but still. Um, it's middle infield, and there's one guy for the job. It's the guy Asher constantly talks about, brings up in arguments as already being on the Yankees roster. It's Carlos Correa. And I mean, out of the shortstop position last year, they had a 2.6 war. Carlos Correa had a 5.8 war. They only had their shortstops hit 10 home runs. This is if Fangraphs is working correctly. Correa hit so many more than that. It's just incredible the amount of effect that Correa could have for somebody playing the shortstop position. That is a must for the rich Yankees. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely someone who who looks like he'd fit into the lineup. Like he's he's gonna hit 20 20 plus home runs. So he's gonna. He's going to have power. He's going to create runs, no doubt. But he's also going to be a 280 hitter, or he was at least last season if he can replicate it. And you you throw that guy in. I don't know where you bat him in that lineup. Probably you break up the Stanton-Judge-Gallo trio, if I were to guess. But say you get Correa, say you get Rizzo, the lineup becomes a lot more scary. And if you don't win with that lineup, you're left saying... What else do we need to do, right? There's, You just can't find an answer. If you sign those guys and the offense still doesn't do what it needs to do on a, on a consistent basis, because this is a team that'll go on win streaks. I believe they won like 13 games in a row last season at one point, but then they'll go on streaks where no one could hit a beach ball. And you're saying, what is going on? And in the past, you look at this team, you say, okay, pitching has been the issue. Well, they got Garrett Cole. Bullpen has not been the issue, even though last year, 
Chapman went through a phase where he didn't know what baseball was. And so if you address those two phases of the ball, you're left saying, why isn't the offense not working? So I agree that those guys are the guys to get and hopefully patch this Yankees team together. Uh, Moving on to the final team in the AL East, it's your Red Sox. Great offensive team last year. You know, one, I was looking through this team. There's a couple interesting aspects. Their their bullpen was not incredible, but not as bad as I would have thought. The potential weaknesses that I I kind of looked at were, you know, Vasquez from the catcher spot really struggled offensively. And then from a war perspective, first base, obviously, they were 21st in war. They really wanted Rizzo at the deadline to address that problem. They couldn't get it done. If I'm the Red Sox, I'm looking at the at the free agent market. I see Freddie Freeman and I see Anthony Rizzo. And both of those guys would be huge to just filling in the cement of this batting lineup. Yeah, so I'm going to just go ahead and give you my own professional opinion. First of all, we have to mention Asher did save the best for last here. Um, but at catcher, you put Christian Vasquez, and I'll challenge you on that one almost immediately. He's eighth in war since 2019. Um, scrolling over to his stats, he's hit 270, which is probably the best, second best among catchers outside of Buster Posey, it looks like, which is amazing for the Red Sox. So I'm just going to go ahead and nullify that. I don't need another catcher. There's not another catcher I'd want on the free agent market. Um, You look at first base, and I'll say admittedly, that is our probably one of our biggest weaknesses. Now, the reason I don't mention it in my own my own statement about our weaknesses is that we've got Tristan Casas coming up. Bobby Dalback, he showed a ton of potential in spring training. It just didn't work out against better major league pitching. So he gets another year next year. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Obviously, I want Freddie Freeman or Anthony Rizzo in that spot because, I mean, they're one of the their top five first basemen in the league. And then your last thing, you have right field written on there. And, yes, you're right. This is a big weakness. And Hunter Renfro has gone, so it's going to be even more difficult. We probably need to fill it with a free agent, but there isn't a great guy out there because I don't think Nick Castellanos is coming over to the Red Sox. It's going to be Jared Duran this year. But then over to my, over to my list, and it's closer. I mentioned above or mentioned earlier that I would talk about uh, closer for a different team. And it's that guy, Kenley Jensen. Matt Barnes didn't work out in the second half, a 648 second half ERA and only 16.2 innings, and he was rocked in the postseason. So Garrett Whitlock will slot in at a setup role, sort of Devin Williams-like for the Brewers. And so the Red Sox have a uh, one-two punch in the bullpen also. That's what I think we need most. Yeah, I mean, that that seems to be the phase. And listen, I, I understand about Vasquez. What I'm saying is, and that's why I didn't put him as my number one problem. I, I was looking at potential weaknesses. Last year, obviously, he was a weakness when you're posting a 77 WRC+, plus and you're producing at a 23% lower clip than league average. But I do believe it was an off year, and the catcher position, I've said this in the past, as people know, is not deep. Okay, It doesn't have a lot of depth, so are there a lot of answers available? Yeah, probably not. Like I said, first base does seem to be the biggest problem, but bullpen, you know, is huge. You look at the the way the Rays util, utilize bullpen, and any team would like to utilize their bullpen like the Rays do, and when you can't finish games, that is maybe the most frustrating thing as a fan when you're giving up a lot of runs late. So I get you there going to bullpen. First base, I think, is a big issue, and you've got, you know, like you said, potential answers within your own organization. So 
We'll see what happens there. But that rounds out really the AL East, you know, five biggest weaknesses in our personal opinion for each of these teams. Very interesting to see if teams sit back or if teams are aggressive about these issues because they didn't finish none of except for the Orioles, none of these teams finished with bad records. None of these teams are bad teams going into 2022. And it's almost interesting because it's almost like they're all pushing each other. If if the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Rays or the Jays were in any other division, there wouldn't be this pressure to correct even the smallest weaknesses a team has because you're sitting with other teams that just aren't as good as you. You're going to win the division and you're going to make a playoff run. Unfortunately, we've got four teams that are playoff caliber, and f- and not all four teams can make it. It's as simple as that. So because of that, each team is trying to be as aggressive as possible, um, and it'll be certainly interesting. I'm sure we'll talk about predictions, anything else you have to say about any of the three topics we've discussed today. Yeah, so I've, I've got a question for you, and I know this is with no research done, and I'm sure things will change, 100% will change. But at this moment in time, let me hear your first four teams in the AL East. In order. Yeah, I want to hear it. So, yeah, this was interesting. When we were talking about bold predictions, I actually kind of said that it would be Yankees, Red Sox, 1-2, Jays, 3, Rays, 4. But as I've done more research and as I believe more signings will come in, I totally disagree with my past self. (laughs) I yeah, think this was a week ago for a reference. Maybe yeah. <laughs> listen, listen, things change. Things change. Um I think <laughs> I think the biggest thing for me right now, based on the research we've done and based on how the Rays utilize every player, as much as I really hate to say it, I have Rays one, Yankees two, Red Sox three, Jays four. And I think that it's so difficult to make the, these predictions because of how close they are. But I I like to think that the Yankees offense is going to be a lot better than it was last season. And I think if that is corrected, they're the two in this division because they started off really rough last season. Red Sox, based on their offense, I have them over the Jays. But again, I would not be surprised if the Jays jumped to two here and it was Yankees-Red Sox 3-4. It could go either way, but right now I'm saying Rays, Yankees, Red Sox, Jays. Your thoughts? This is insanely, insanely difficult. And I can't deny anything that Asher has said, basically. Right? Like, any one of these teams could miss the playoffs, and any one of these teams could win 100 games this year and get first in the division. Now, I'll give you my order. Now, Asher is right. I I made fun of him for it, but this could change tomorrow after I've slept on it. But right now, and this is going to probably be controversial, but it's Blue Jays, Red Sox, Rays, Yankees. And now, I know this looked a little bit biased against the Yankees, and I know that's why Asher's putting the Yankees over the Red Sox. But um, these teams are all so close. And there's only one team's offense that seems to, uh, one team's, I should say, pitching staff that seems to stand above. And that's Barrios, Ryu, and Gosman in Toronto. And so I'll take them over the lineup, uh, over the rotations of the other teams, because the lineups are really coin, cost, uh, uh, coin tosses right now. We, Asher and I have talked about 
the Red Sox and Yankees line up for like an hour and we did not come to any consensuses. So this is such a difficult division. The one thing I'll tell you is I think the Blue Jays can pull off the win in this division. That's that's maybe the one thing I disagree with the most. And it's not because they're not good enough. I mean, when you have teams that are this good and this competitive, to me, it's almost it's almost about which teams mental like it it almost becomes about less of what's on the paper at this point because i don't think that going either direction here sways it too much i don't think that the blue jays pitching rotation on paper is enough to give me that them the edge over the rays i think it's he's like if we look at last season the blue jays are coming off of a missed playoff performance and i think of the four teams they're the underdogs in terms of the Yankees, Red Sox, and Rays, probably all three believe that if they can't beat anyone else in that division, they can still beat the Blue Jays because they, they're the fourth-place team. So I, I almost think that, yes, on paper they're great, they're young, they're getting better. Without Robbie Ray in that starting rotation, we don't know exactly what it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be as good as last year. I have the Blue Jays finishing, yeah, like we're, we're very flip-flopped right now, but Again, 30 games into this season, we have no idea where this is going to line up. So, I don't know. It's it's nearly impossible to predict. We might, you know, we're planning on doing potentially an episode where we just go Yankees-Red Sox versus and argue it out. We might do a full-on AL East. We'll, we'll talk about it, but it'll definitely be a hot topic this season, especially if more moves are made in free agency. Uh. That being said, I think that about wraps it up. Anything you want to add? No, that's got it. I, I have a I had a joke planned, but then I realized it didn't work. So yeah, that's a great episode. I really enjoyed that one. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, that that'll do it. We drafted our, our best potential teams. We talked about we gave out grades for the NL East and we talked about ways the AL East can improve their biggest weaknesses. If you guys enjoyed, please share it with your friends, leave a review, and subscribe. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you guys in the next one.